Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Thank you very, very much for pressing the play button. On today's show, we are talking with Shan Carant, who is the Evolution Wrestling Academy champion. It's a fascinating discussion with someone who is looking at the business from a slightly different perspective to other former guests, as Shan is still working his way through the Academy at Evolution Wrestling, but starting to now appear more on the main show as well. So his career perspective is slightly different to former guests who are maybe more advanced in in their in-ring careers. Um, Coming up on a future episode, we're going to be doing something from my standpoint, which is quite selfish. One of my all-time favourite pay-per-views is the Royal Rumble 1992. Um, I recently spoke with a guest for a show which will be coming out in a few weeks. Um, who said that they'd never seen War Rumble 1992, and in fact don't even really like Ric Flair, who is one of my personal favourite wrestlers. So from that standpoint, we're going to be taking a look back at War Rumble 1992 very soon, Um, having a look at the Great Rumble match itself, of course, and Ric Flair's fantastic performance. And I'm going to attempt to win this person over into um, potentially a little bit of a Flair fan. It's also going to be very interesting hearing somebody's views um, upon this pay-per-view which is one of my all-time favorite shows in 2020 when they have never seen the show before um with that in mind i would love everyone's thoughts on the raw rumble 1992 show the the competitors uh, how the show was done the fantastic um Bobby Heenan commentary, any other thoughts or questions or anything you wish to send in, you can get in contact with the show on Facebook and Twitter at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, please let me know your thoughts. We'll be recording that in a week or two. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to it and I hope you'll enjoy it too. Uh, as I also hope you'll enjoy today's discussion with the Evolution Wrestling Academy champion, Sean Grant, coming up for you right now. I hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. Reigning Evolution Wrestling Academy Champion, Shan Grant. How are we doing, sir? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. No, no, thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be talking with you. Um, the, first of all, complete transparency for everyone listening. I am full of cold. So if you hear me coughing and spluttering and sounding a bit bunged up, I apologise. Um, it's not anything worse than a cold. If anyone who knows me wants to pop rounds, don't panic. It's absolutely, that's all it is. Um, but just in case you hear me coughing and spluttering, just want to make sure that everyone's aware I'm full of cold. I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself today. Um, yeah, like I said, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, oh, one of the main reasons I asked you on is because your career is, to me, outside looking in, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but your career is 
at a different stage to some of the guests I've had on previously. Yes. As in, as in yeah. you're sort of coming through the academy at the moment, appeared on a few main shows, a few a few matches and moments there. So I thought this could be an interesting little insight into into that end of people's careers as opposed to the other people I've been talking to who are so maybe a little bit further along in their timeline, so to speak. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's definitely accurate. Okay, great. Um, well, we'll start at the very beginning then, sir. Um, as a fan, how, how did you first discover this this crazy world of professional wrestling? What first attracted you to to watching sweaty men in their pants roll around, which <laughs> seems to entertain so many millions, myself included? Yeah, mate. Um, well, it was God. It was back in the nineties. I was uh, I used to get back uh, from Friday after doing uh, like swimming lessons and stuff like that, and I was just flicking through one day and Channel 5, for whatever reason, was showing Monday Night Nitro. And, mate, I've been a Nitro boy. I loved Nitro back in the day. Old school Booker T and everyone like that. But, yeah, flicking through, turned on, and Hulk Hogan was straight up on my screen. And I thought, okay, let's let's go with that. So, uh, flicked it on for a bit and... Uh, on that same Nitro, uh, God, I can't even remember what year it was now, um, you had people like Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman putting on classics, and I thought, okay, I, I'm heavily involved in this, and it very quickly became a Friday night thing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I'm a big WCW fan, uh, so any anyone who sort of enjoyed Nitro back in the day, I, I'm, I'm all about that, that's great stuff. Um, I mean, if Hogan was there and you had Mysterio and Kidman, you're looking at, I don't know, potentially 97, maybe, 98, something like that, I would guess. Like late 96, early 97, maybe? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, So how old were you, roughly, when you you discovered this random Nitro? I would have been probably around seven at that point. Um, Yeah, so born in 91, so yeah, I would have been around six, seven years old. Right, okay. I just fell in love with it. I thought, this is fantastic. And then, obviously, uh, the WWE was transitioning into its Attitude Era. Well, it was in its Attitude Era, really, wasn't it? Um, and, like, big personalities like Stone Cold and The Rock and Vince, all that, were on the TV screen as well, and they were battling. And, I mean, it, be- it was one of the hottest things in the 90s, wrestling. Yeah, and what a great time to uh, to be a fan. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what a great time to be a fan. Uh, and like said, the, the characters yeah. you listed there, absolutely fantastic names and entertainers all across the board, weren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. And the shots they take at each other as well was was fantastic because it made you want to tune into the other show to see how they react. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and I suppose I, I never really had that back and forth between Nitro and Raw. Um, I was very much a WWF guy growing up, uh, but this is years previous to what you're saying here. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than yourself. Um, and then Nitro and WCW kind of came along for me before the, um, well, before Nitro, WCW came along for me. It was sort of like WCW Worldwide on a Saturday afternoon watching the likes of Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat and so on. Um, but it was very limited as to what I, I'd had access to. Um, but that era you're discussing there is, is a fantastic time to to be a fan and especially to get into the business as well. Um, 
speaking of getting into the business, how much further down the line did you decide this is what I want to do? And how did the sort of process of training start? Well, uh, I I think I first joined Evolution when I was uh, 24, 25, I think. So it's it's a long time since I've always been a fan and, and continued watching that whole time. Yes. Yeah, I was. I was. Okay. I was always a fan. I had a I had a little dip with WWE sort of around 2008-9, but back uh, at that point I'd found uh, TNA in its heyday. Oh, yes. uh, oh my god, that was amazing that stuff. I was such a big fan of the X Division back then as well. Again, it's it's fantastic names, fantastic performers, the likes of Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles and so on. Uh, yeah. I was I was all aboard TNA in that era as well. It was fantastic. Well, what get what right? Changing the subject slightly. What got me into uh, TNA was I flicked it on. I thought, oh, TNA wrestling. I like wrestling. I'll see what's that that's about. And I saw a six sided ring. And I thought, what in the hell is this? Yeah, it's quite a visual, isn't it? And I was sold. I was instantly sold. I was like, yeah, that's it. And Jeff Jarrett, obviously, I loved him back in WCW. Jeff Jarrett running the shop. Yeah. yeah, it won my heart straight away. Yeah, it, it it sort of had a similar effect on me. I was flicking through the channels one day, um, and I can't whether it was on Bravo or Challenge TV or one of these one of these stations in the UK. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, that you wouldn't imagine to catch a wrestling program on. Just flicking through, and again, it was the six sided ring that made me sort of go, "Okay, what's this then?" And then I saw AJ Styles for the first time, and that was it. I was just hooked right from that exact moment. So, no, that's great. Um, so yeah, so, so TNA sort of hooked you in and you watched that as well. Um, yeah. What, when you hit your sort of early 20s then and you decided, I'm, I want to give this a go, what was the moment that made you think, okay, this is, this is it, I'm going to do this? Well, yeah. Well, like I, I'd always been a fan and um, there was some stuff going on in my personal life which uh, made me sort of reevaluate things. Okay. And, um, well, I, I don't mind saying it. Um, my father passed away. And um, just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and it made me look at everything. I thought, I've been a fan, and I've always wanted to. Uh, I've always wanted to try it and just see, like, if I could do it. So I thought, if I don't do it now, like, it's going to be something that sort of eats me up. So I was looking, looking online, seeing what was around, and Evolution was the closest one. So I thought, yeah, why not? So I went over, met Rob and everyone, and. Did my first training session and I was hooked straight away, instantly, and I haven't stopped going since. That's brilliant. I mean, you know, it's it's funny how certain aspects in in life make you reevaluate, and I can understand where you're coming from with what you say there. Um, and you're right; there does come a stage where you sort of think, if I don't do it now, I never will. Um, I know exactly where you're coming from. With regards to that as well as with work and, and, and all sorts. And, and this, what I'm doing now, I was basically, I wouldn't say bullied, but pushed strongly into doing this by my wife, who thought I'd be quite good at it. I was a guest on somebody else's and they said the same thing. And it was a case of, well, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to. And I'm very glad I've done it. So it's funny how certain little things do influence your life, I suppose, in different directions. Um, as you started training then, was was there anything that... Was I mean your first session, rocking up at the Evolution Academy for the first time, stood outside uh, 
with, with, I'm guessing with your kit bag over your shoulder, you know, maybe not knowing anyone. Was there any nerves? Was there any second guessing yourself? Was there any, I'm not sure about this? And, and how did you find that first training session? And I suppose mainly the first bump. Yeah, well, well, the first bump is always, always the worst. <laughs> well, you don't, like, you don't know what to expect and you don't know how to do it well. So, and there's, there's key, there's key factors about doing bumps, which can really affect whether or not it's nice or not. Yeah. Uh, obviously, first training session, didn't know any of that. Took my first bump. I thought, holy shit. <laughs> this is, this is way tougher on my back than I thought I'd be. But, um, no, I can do this. It was, it was all the little intricate bits. Like as, as a fan, uh, watching it for so long, doing your first training session and just like slowly learning about the mechanics behind it all. I was fascinated at the start of that by all of that. Just all the little mechanics that you wouldn't necessarily think about when you just sit and watch it. Whereas if you if you train for a bit, you can sort of work out the back and forth between it all. And yeah. that to the point where I've been watching some old WWE matches and Instead of just sat there watching it, I'm analysing it now as to how and why they do things. And I just love that little bit of it. Yeah, and that was going to be something I was going to ask you a bit later on, but we'll get to that nice as you bring it up. Um, as you trained and you, you sort of picked up on the, the little nuances and the little uh, inside mechanics of how things work, the little touches that, you know, people far more qualified than I are aware of. That don't you know? I, I'd never pick up on anything like that. Watching, I just I just marvel at what you guys do. It's it's fantastic entertainment. Um, did your opinions of some of your favourites when you were younger change? Did you did you appreciate them more, less? Did you did you suddenly discover people that you watched when you were younger who you weren't a particularly big fan of as a fan, but then all of a sudden found something new in what they do because you understood more. Yes, there was. Um, uh, I think probably the best example was is probably Rick Rude. I back when I was younger, I used to hate him. I used to think he was trash, all of that. But now training a bit and just watching how he moves around and like works the audience, he was fantastic. He's so underrated. Yeah, I'm a big, big Rick Rude fan. I wrote an article, um, one of the first articles I ever worked on was about Rick Rude's career in, in general. Um, and it's amazing how how well that article did in comparison to other subject matters. And it shows how many people do appreciate the guy. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Rude fan. His run with the Dangerous Alliance in WCW was, was fantastic. Um, his, his 89 matches with the Warrior, SummerSlam 89, for example, the Warriors' limitations are quite there for everyone to see, but to me, that that's, match is fantastic. That's, that's another huge one is the Warrior. He, like you could clearly see, he only had he only had a certain moves, but mm. once he got them off, he he had the part crowd in the palm of his hand. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's suppose it's testament to how talented Rick Rude was that maybe some people didn't that wouldn't notice that the matches with the Warrior were as good as they were with the Warrior having that sort of limited move set, so to speak. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, like bringing bringing that up to recent now, the recent Dominic Mysterio run that he's had with Seth Rollins, like he's Dominic Mysterio has looked like a million dollars in that company, and that is largely due to Seth Rollins helping him through so much. Yeah, I mean Dominic's looked very good, and 
still Dominic's still young. He's still training, and sometimes it's obvious, but he's look he's looked phenomenal. Yeah, I think so. he's looked very very good. He hasn't, the big thing for me is he hasn't looked out of place. I suppose. No, I'm not, yeah, I'm not that's, going. I'm not going to notice. He looks like he belongs. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I'm not going to notice as much as say yourself or somebody else who actually works in the business. But I like to think that I've watched wrestling long enough. I mean, it's you know, well over, well, it's probably three and a half decades now. Um, and I've seen enough companies and wrestlers come and go and so on to know, to sort of pick up a little bit and, and understand a bit about how it works. And the fact that I sit there and I watch him and think, it looks like he's been doing this for so much longer than he has. Um, I think it's a testament to how well Rollins and so on work with him and, and, and Dominic himself. I think you've got to say fair play to the youngster for doing oh, yeah. as well as he has, you know? Oh, mate, I, I don't know if I was that young, I'd be taking that many kendo shots that he did. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> oh, unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, to me, that's just a moment of just keep thinking of the money, surely. That's that's all I got. That's all I'd be doing, you know, just think of the money, think of the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on then with, with well, I was talking about Dominic there and having his early matches in his career and, and so on. Um, your very, very first match, I'm assuming it would have been on an Academy show. Um how did that go? Did you did we again? Were, was there a batch of nerves building up to your first match? Who was your match with? Uh, how, how was that first uh, that whole first match experience? The first academy match that I can remember having was it was a tag match, um, and it was against uh, it was against the Hitmen. To be fair, okay, um, yeah, it's just a just a short little academy match just to get me out there and ah. Uh, when when you stood behind the curtain waiting to go out, first match, like, I was full of nerves. I didn't know, like, I was thinking, oh, what if I mess something up? Like, mm. I forget everything. And just just a huge bag of nerves. But as as you step through that curtain and you see the crowd, I'd, it's like a switch. I don't know. I, I think that's the best way to explain it is that, all of a sudden, all of that just disappears, and I, I'm pretty sure it's all just the adrenaline kicking in. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was uh, that was the first match I had against tag match against Hitman, and um, yeah, I I think it went I think it went okay, but that's that was me um, a shortened shortened view, but mm-hmm. that's the first proper like academy match I remember having and. I I thought it was great fun back then, loved it. Okay, uh, you say you say it was with the the hitmen, the Heritage City hitmen. Um, yes, it was. I, which incarnation was that? Because it was the three of them that worked together, wasn't it? I'm sure yes. David Eaton was the one. It was Dave and Simon. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, David Eaton was on the show very very early on when I started. I think it's episode two. We had we had a fantastic chat with David Eaton there. That's a, that's a great episode. If anyone ever wants to go back through the Spotify or the iTunes links and so on and, and, and find that. That's a great conversation. Dave's a very intelligent guy. Really, really interesting interview. And it's no, funny how... Really intelligent. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny how these guys... Obviously, it's the same company and, and so on. But it's funny how so many of the guys I speak with, their careers do kind of touch base quite often. And, and I, I spoke with Yestin Reese, and Yestin had a big part in training David Eaton. Um, and, and all these little little moments and, and, and crossovers, I find absolutely fascinating from outside looking in. If that makes sense. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. I mean, you've you've worked for the um, evolution on the Evolution Academy shows for for how long now? 
four and a half years. Okay. Um, but you've also had a few moments on what, what I'll refer to, for want of a better term, as, as the main shows. Yes. Um, I... Remember you being involved in Liam Jones' heel turn? Yes, I was, yeah. I remember bumping into you outside um, where everyone was going for, a, well, not yourself, but where everyone was going for a smoke and you were a little bit cross because uh, he'd given you a bit of a, shift stop, a, a, a stiff shot to the nose of a chair, hadn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, don't forget that one. No, I got to imagine you can't. There was plenty of blood there for everyone to see. But again, it was a very, a very dramatic, striking moment. Um, so I mean, he got his heel turned over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked. It worked. <laughs> worked too well, if anything. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I mean, that was that was sort of as a uh, security guard, I suppose, trying to split up a situation sort of thing. Um, but you've also wrestled on the main show as well now, haven't you? Um, defending... I've seen you defend your Academy Championship on the main show. Um, what are the main differences you have found between Academy shows and main shows? Do you find your stature is different? Or do you find um, uh, people watching is a huge difference? Are, are, are there many similarities? How do you find the two shows? Well, with Academy shows, um, a lot of the time they're made up of people's friends and family. Okay. And it's all sort of people who will be nice and be cheer, cheering and booing necessarily. But on main shows, because it is the general public and obviously fans and everyone as well, and going out there on my first main show, a lot of people wouldn't know who I was. Mm. So going like before, again, as if my first match on an Academy show, there were some nerves there. But from working so many Academy shows, I had... I had an idea of what I was doing. So going out, I knew, right, I need to get this crowd to hate me. And and it worked. I got <laughs> I got them to hate me. And it feels it feels uh it feels so much better because to get strangers to hate you and you know it's genuine genuine reactions then. Yeah. As opposed to if like your friends or family who are just cheering or booing you to obviously keep your confidence and stuff up for the general public to have a strong reaction to you it means okay i know what i'm doing i'm like i can take it in a certain direction and it helps to bounce off against strangers who if if you're doing something bad or if you're not doing something well they will let you know they won't be shy and just keep it to themselves they will let you know and bouncing off the crowd is like such a great feeling yeah, I, I suppose that's the sort of the whole principle of it as well, isn't it? It's if if you're not getting the reaction you want, you know you have to do something else to get that reaction, so to speak. Um, when you well, one occasion when I saw you on the the main show, you were wrestling a much much smaller opponent than yourself, um, a, a young lady challenger to your academy title. Ah, uh, yes, Luna Blue. That's that's right. Yeah, I mean she had quite a quite a big sort of uh, family friends following up the main show also how did you find that because i'll be honest watching that myself i i'm not a huge fan of intergender wrestling i'm maybe it's because i'm i'm quite old school maybe i'm not sure um but i enjoyed i enjoyed the match it worked well the, the, the structure of it i mean you're much bigger and much more powerful competitor than your opponent and it told the story in the way it should 
I appreciated that. I was sat with my mum, who's um, never seen intergender wrestling ever, and she understands how the business works and that the you know in theory, hopefully, you're not really hurting each other and so on. But there were a few moments where I think she felt slightly uncomfortable. Again, maybe it's a generational thing or an age thing or whatever. Intergender wrestling is much more popular now than it was, say, 15 years ago. Um, how did you find that match itself? Because you were given quite a bit of time there. Um, you were working with someone who, as far as I know, is less experienced than yourself. Um, and the crowd reactions were quite heated and strong. How did you find that process and how did you structure that match? That's a, that's a very good question. So, with with such a difference in uh, stature as we did have, it was uh, it was important to make sure that I got enough in that the crowd would hate me for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. We needed to balance it out that she she could get the crowd on her side. We needed to get the crowd with her. For them to then hate me for the levels in which you obviously you experienced there, so um, we needed to make sure that she got enough offense on me. And trust me, she did when she hit that slap. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I think I think people in Cheltenham heard that. You know, <laughs> she hit me with two of them. I thought bloody hell. <laughs> which uh, the crowd loved. The crowd loved it when that happened. But, um, yeah, so we needed to make sure that she got enough in that she didn't look like she was just taking a beating for 10 minutes. And, like, to be fair to her, she got some good hits in. But, and then there was the big, there was the big pop-up spine buster powerbomb spot, which was perfect because it was, the crowd was all on her. It was at the start of her, she was coming back, she was fighting from underground, and then... She went for one-two of a risky move and just got slammed. And the crowd booed me out the building. And you know what? I loved it. I loved every minute of that. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit of context for, for people listening who, who may not be familiar um, with uh, yourself or, or your opponent that day. Um, the the young lady you were facing, what was her name? Was it Alundra Blue, wasn't it? Uh, Aluna Blue. Aluna Blue, apologies. Um, she must be a good foot shorter than you, at least. Um, oh, yeah, easily. And I would say probably half your weight easily again. She's, she's that small and demure. So watching, first of all, watching um, the intergender aspect of the match was intriguing to me because that was something a bit different that I've not seen very often. Um, but then the size difference was a huge part of the storytelling for me as well. And like you said there, like the way that you were, she was trying to get certain shots in and get the crowd behind her, it was very much an underdog story, wasn't it? Yes, that's what that is what we were aiming for. Yeah, well, you succeeded. That's exactly what it did. That's exactly what it did. Um, again, like I said, I suppose it it did make it did sort of get the people booing you a great deal. Um, when you hear that big crescendo of boos for certain, do, do you literally inside just sort of go, "Oh yeah, I've got them." Yeah, that is that's a. That's exactly it. Whether it's a cheer or a boo, however, the stronger the reaction, the better the better you feel. Mm. And obviously, I like boos. I like being booed out of the building. So yeah. the huge eruption of boos just 
Oh, made me feel all warm inside, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that was going to be uh, something else I asked. Uh, I, I asked pretty much every guest who, who who has been in the ring this same sort of generic question, I guess, um, with regards to working tag matches and singles and then working uh, both sides of the coin, I guess, uh, a good guy and a heel, a babyface heel. Um, obviously, your preference from what you're saying there is to work as the baddie, is to get all the booze that give you that warm feeling. Um, <laughs> when it comes to singles and tags, do you have a preference? Uh, I do I do prefer singles. I like it. I do like it just me and another opponent. It makes it easier to... Uh, it makes it easier to plan things and to work against each other. Because with tag matches, is there's not just you in the ring. There's three other people that you've mm-hmm. got to look out for. And I imagine a lot of people say say this who've been on the podcast. Worrying about yourself becomes sort of second nature. You're more worried about making these guys and sticking up with these guys and keeping up with them than whether or not you do anything bad or you need to stop or anything like that. So for just for ease, I I personally prefer working singles, but I do love a good tag match. As well, you can get a. I feel you can get a lot more creative when there's two of you doing certain moves on people as well. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? The sort of creativity from a tag team aspect. To me, that would be again very much outside looking in. That would to me be the biggest selling point of being in a tag match. The, the things you could do with your opponent, um, with your partner, with four guys minimum involved. I mean, that to me. That to me would be the main selling point for me to do a tag above a singles, I guess. Again, very much outside looking in, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's it. Like, the tag team moves, like, even if you're just watching, you see a good tag team move, you think, oh, man, that that's it, game over. And, like, some of the best tag team moves are so simple. Like, even the Legion of Doom, they had possibly one of the best tag team moves ever. And it was simple, but it looked devastating because it was it was the flux of two people doing something to one guy. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge tag tag team wrestling fan. It, it's a shame that it hasn't uh, been treated as well as it should have potentially in certain companies around the world. It's a real shame in WWE that yeah. it's not as strong as it could be. Yeah, they've I don't know what I don't know what they're doing with them, but they've they've essentially butchered their tag division. Yeah, and it's always kind of been the same for for quite a long time, I think. It has. It, I don't know. I don't know why they don't put value in tag teams. But no, I, and it's it's a strange it's, one as well because because you watch people like AEW and you watch some of the tag matches that like the Bucks and people like that and FTR and all of that have on there, and like tag team wrestling is a huge part of this. Yes. And, it's just it's just being thrown away in WWE for some unbeknownst reason. Yeah, and they've got they've got the guys to do it. I mean, even if it's even if it's not official, sort of official tag teams, I guess, for want of a better term. You look at the size of their roster, and also the talent in their roster. I, I, I'm saying to a guest recently, I believe that at this current moment in time. The WWE has the most talented roster, top to bottom, it's ever had. Just because oh, of, because of the wow. depth and the amount of performers they have, um, 
so you've got so many guys who who you know can do a good job at various levels um even guys who are predominantly singles wrestlers sat around doing nothing um the likes of um bobby Roode as just one pops in my head now and of course you also had sheamus and cesaro who were thrown together as a tag team and that worked very well for quite a while um, oh yeah they they really kicked out the park with that yeah. one like they became from their best of seven which i was such a huge fan of to them becoming the tag team was they had such a great run because they worked so well off each other mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cesaro is very, very talented, and Sheamus kind of goes up and down for me. It depends on which day people ask me as to what I think of him, but I find more enjoyment in his work than I than I don't, if that makes sense. So the two of them against each other, and then the two of them together, I, I really did enjoy. But it's another example there. It's just they've got so much talent in, in their roster, so much talent available to them. To me, it shows that it's not just a case, it's not a case of they cannot do this. It shows that they won't do this. They won't concentrate on tag team wrestling. Yeah, you know, I which, understand. Which makes you question why they've even got tag titles at all. Mm, yes. Because, like, the Street Profits, say, well, talk about WWE, like, Street Profits have held it for, what, nearly a year now with no real tra- Like, what is the point of them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's just a sort of trinkets. They're not, like, they're not valued. No. No. And it's very strange as well because you hear people say, um, on, on you know, other people being interviewed who have been in the WWE and no Vince and so on, saying that McMahon doesn't doesn't like tag wrestling or doesn't see it as a draw. You actually look at things like the first WrestleMania, um, the first SummerSlam, and then obviously the first few Survivor Series. They're all headlined by tag team tag team matches, not title matches per se, but tag team matches. And it's just that thing of well, once upon a time, he was quite fond of it. What's changed his opinion, I guess? Yeah, well, yeah this is the thing. Because, like, you think of all the old tag teams that have been through that company. And, like, the New Age Outlaws and the Heart Foundation and the Rockers and all... Rujos, like, all these guys. Like, they were so prominent on the shows. And all of a sudden, they're not. And there's got there must be something which he just doesn't see value in it anymore. But no one knows why. Yep. It's just it's just one of those Vince-isms, I guess, where people just sort of shrug their shoulders and go, well, it is, well, it is. No one can explain it, can they? So... No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's good to get your thoughts on the, the, the modern, the, the current product. Um, are you a WWE guy? Are you an AEW guy? Do you watch anything at all? Uh... I I don't really have loyalty to any sort of company in terms of viewing. Like, I, I watch... My main two that I will definitely watch during the week are NXT and Dynamite. Okay. But because NXT still to its... I mean, it's losing it a little bit, but still to its core, it is like the resurgence of WWE wrestling, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's got the best. It's got the best wrestling. It's got the best talent, personally. Um, and AEW, AEW is just knocking out of the park at this point in time. And the storytelling in AEW is so like I have to know what happens with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. Like I have to, like I have to know. Which and like Cody, uh, Cody's just recently come back, and I 
like even though he looks like a reject from My Chemical Romance, I want to see where that. Ah, <laughs> oh, mate, he does. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Just that hair in his black suits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, e- emo Cody. That's what we'll start calling him. Shall emo we? Cody. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is it. The store, the storytelling in Dynamite is so, so on point right now that you want to tune in. Whereas you watch some of these roars and you just. You sit there for three hours and think, why have I just watched this? See, I've, I've not watched Raw and SmackDown properly in a long, long, long time. I'll still watch the pay-per-views when they roll around. Yeah, I, yeah same here. I'll watch the pay-per-views and I'll catch up on what. But recent SmackDown, I, I am obsessed with this new Roman Reigns character. Oh, it's fantastic. It's heel turn. I, I'm obsessed. Like, SmackDown's got to a point where I want to tune in every week. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they need. That's what Raw needs. There's nothing on Raw to pull me into the show. Maybe if it was two hours. But... Well, yeah, that's that, that's a killer, isn't it? Three hours worth. And I, uh, when you finish, you're sort of thinking, what actually happened? What what happened to... There's nothing there that sticks in your mind. Um, no, and there's so much wrestling out there now as well. You say NXT, AEW, Raw, SmackDown, and then you've got yeah, Impact, the NWA, and... And I've been catching up a little bit on that as well. There's just at the minute there's there's too much wrestling to watch everything. So you yeah, just... which which can be a negative. But on the other side of that, it you can pick and choose. It's 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 great to have those choices. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd much rather have all these choices than just have like say ten years ago where it was only WWE and they were putting out some mediocre stuff. Yeah, that was not a good time, was it? <laughs> okay um as we're sort of finishing up here time wise a couple of quick questions for you before uh before i let you go um in your career so far working on the academy shows and your couple of spots on the the main show as i, as I say um is there any particular moment or opponent that stands out as your favorite oh good question like i I thoroughly enjoyed the few matches that I had with Aluna Blue in our little feud. Um, but also credit out to uh, Oliver Sudden from Dragon Pro. Me and him had a match at Wharton Hall, and our personalities were so different that I it just worked well. It just worked so well together, and it was one of my favorite matches I've ever had. He's great, isn't he? All of a sudden, he, yeah. be, he really has to be laughing. Stars and nine is just—they're so—they clash so well that um, yeah, it was—it was just great. Yeah. Okay. I can imagine. I can. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I really like that guy. Whenever I see him, he, he makes me laugh. He makes my kids laugh. You know, I—I I think he's brilliant. Um, so then, going forward, um, obviously, COVID, um, the whole lockdown, coronavirus issues have deeply affected everybody's lives um uh, wrestlers as well obviously there's no shows for you guys to work on um when all this hopefully touchwood does clear up go away and everything returns to some level of normalcy uh, what are your hopes for the future immediate future and, and and long-term future i guess well immediate i just like to get back in the ring again to be honest yes yeah i can imagine <laughs> the same as everyone i think but yeah in terms of long term um I'm not going to say oh, I wouldn't want to go to a certain company because obviously if the offer was there, I'd take it in a heartbeat. I, mm-hmm. I don't see anyone who wouldn't. But if if that never happens, I 
I'd be happy being able to do this as a living and being able to travel. If I was able to travel the world and do this thing I love for the rest of my life, that would be perfect for me. Yeah, that's that, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Sort of getting to see places and it being able to be, you know, you, you travel and, and almost the tourism side of it, but it being paid for by a job you love. I suppose that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, and it wouldn't necessarily feel like work. They, they, no. Classic, the classic trope is um, do something you love and it will never feel like work. And if I could do this, I love this. So that would be the perfect. And, I mean, traveling the world as well, seeing everything is all, is on everyone's bucket list. Like, you'd be hard to find someone who doesn't like travel. Oh, I'm quite happy staying at home. My wife talks. I'm, I'm quite very stuck in my ways. My wife talks about going abroad a lot and and so on. Um, I've never been abroad. I don't. The idea of flying scares the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> I'm quite happy going down to the seaside with my kids, and that's me done. But I can appreciate other people wanting to travel, see the world, uh, and so on. I mean, it would be the even even in my frame of mind where the idea of flying literally i, I missed the t on the a team i'm petrified of everything <laughs> like this you know um so um oh, come do the voice hey eh? do the voice <laughs> oh no i'm definitely the fool trust me i will be <laughs> <laughs> um but even with that sort of fear i have the opportunity to travel uh, in that way it was given to me i wouldn't be able to turn down so like you said you being able to do something like that and work in different cultures as well uh, wrestling wise in front of different fans I imagine that would be that would be fantastic um, ok and lastly before I let you shoot off and again thank you very 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 much for your time today um, we have a segment that we do with all guests that come on for the first time um, just a little bit of fun a little bit of fantasy booking um, that we call bin it book it best um, we always try to end on something positive so we'll do that with your best um, so, I mean, I, I, you're aware of the format and how it works? Yes, I am, yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, so, if we can have a little look at your bin it then, sir. Something in the history of wrestling you absolutely despise or it's cringeworthy, you just want to get shot of. Okay, my bin it would be the 100% fully scripted promos. Oh, what a great shape. That's fantastic. Explain why. Because... Um... I I like I understand it's a TV show and there's certain points you want to get across, but for as a wrestler, like we put so much time into creating this personality of our own and being able to connect with people. And if you give a script and just tell me what to say that I can't put any of my own personality or influence into it, how am I supposed to connect with the people? Because if I don't believe the words that I'm saying, how will they believe the words I'm saying? So it's it's whole thing of give us like give us points like they used to do back in the day. Like Jake the Snake Roberts used to be known as One Take Jake because they give him one word that they wanted to get in, and he put his own spin on it. And I mean, he was one of the biggest bad guys ever. So to we need we need free reign. Like the people need free reign to. Like and another great. Do you think The Rock would have been successful as he is if they had scripted everything he had said? Oh, why? Um, why? That's quite a question. 
Um, that's, I that's, would think that's the big thing about it is that if there's no personality personality behind it, mm. do you connect? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This this shite of the the scripted hundred percent scripted promos for your bin it. I, I I'm I'd need to go back and look at other shows, but off, off the top of my head, I think this is the best shite for a bin it we've had yet. I I think this is fantastic. Um, I I hundred percent agree with you. Because people come across so robotic, and people come across like they're cutting. You can almost you can almost hit the points they're going to say before they say it themselves when you're watching Raw and SmackDown and so on. Um, your point about The Rock, if he was fully scripted all the time, it would obviously take away something from that character. I'm a firm believer that the cream always rises to the top anyway, uh, yeah. and the likes of. Um, the likes of someone like a Ric Flair or The Rock or even a Stone Cold Steve Austin, their charisma, I imagine, would carry them through regardless. Um, but I do agree with you. It would take something away from that character and that, that aspect that helps get them over as well as it, as well as it is. Uh, with regards to cutting promos, um, is this something you personally enjoy? I Yeah, I do love a good promo. I is. It is something that you do have to think about as to what you say, because the worst promos in my head are the ones that just sort of waffle on and they're not sure what they need to do. But a good promo where you get some fan interaction as well. I think the best promos ever are the ones where the fans can tell you their opinion instantly. Because, again, it lets you chop and change certain aspects of it to get the best promo out of you. Yeah, again, it's that, it's that if you've got the 100% scripting, that's took away, isn't it? Oh, yeah, completely. Because you've just got to hit the... You've just got to read the lines, essentially. Yeah. No, I think that's... It doesn't a... always resonate with people. No, again, I mean, let's, let's name, name what we're talking about here. We're looking primarily at Raw and SmackDown, aren't we? For, oh, for yeah. this, for yeah. this sort of thing. So, I mean, the guys who do a lot of the writing for Raw and SmackDown, they've been stood out there in a wrestling ring far less than the majority of people who are out there holding the microphone saying their lines. So they're less experienced as, as performers, because they are just writers, than the people actually performing them. It makes no sense to me. Well, that's, that's the thing as well, is that how, if I put so much time and effort into building this character, how, why would they think that a third-party writer would know how to write for me better than myself? Exactly. Exactly. That's really well put. Just, it doesn't make sense. No. And I 100% agree with you. Get rid of it. Chuck it in the bin. I totally agree. Let the talent sink or swim on their own. If they've got the charisma, if they've got the know-how, they'll do well. If they haven't, the old adage, of course, is if they haven't got it, just chuck them with a manager. I don't see the problem. You know? oh, that's the thing. If, they, if they're not a good talker, there's plenty of people who are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a great shite. That's a brilliant shite. Uh, moving on then, a little bit of fun, some sort of fantasy booking, I guess. Um, something in the past that you've you've enjoyed or maybe not enjoyed and you think that you could have wrote it better, you could have finished a storyline better, or anything in, in that sort of in that sort of area. Your book it, please, sir. My book it would be Sting's first year in WWE. Oh, another great shape. So the way like as he came in and he played the Batman-esque 
vigilante to Triple H. Mm-hmm. And, like, this went on for months, and I, you'd have it, but what I'd secretly do, is, like, they, they hinted at it, but they were slowly, separately, building up alliances with other wrestlers. And I'd have, I'd have the Mania match, but I, I wouldn't have had DX or the NWO involved because that took everything out of it for me, personally. I would have, <clears throat> I would have had it so it was just those two. I would have had Sting win. I think Sting winning would, is important, yeah. <laughs> I don't see how he lost. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> but I wouldn't, that wouldn't be the end of the feud. I'd, I'd keep them at each other's throats throughout the year up until the next Survivor Series where Sting debuted. So it would be the anniversary of Sting's debut. Okay. And all these little alliances that I would have, they would have been making throughout the year, I would have put them as, uh, I would have had them as team captains, Team Triple H versus Team Sting. But I would have had it that the loser leaves Raw. Because if you, back, like, when was it? I think it was early 2000, Stone Cold had a Survivor Series match where his job was on the line. And you had Shawn Michaels as the last lone survivor. I would have had that same sort of situation where either of them could have disappeared. But this is where Triple H gets his, gets the big win. Because... Triple H was part of the authority, and they were clear the antithesis of what WWE fans wanted. So I would have had Sting's have his Sting have his big Mania win that everyone wanted him to have, but then lose on the anniversary of his Survivor Series because back then we weren't sure how long we'd have Sting for. No, so, you could have had one hell of a year where he was just like the big, huge Batman thing. Batman vigilante character in the WWE fighting the authority at every turn. And then him losing. Him losing at the last Survivor Series through no fault of his own because he's not part of the team. He is someone else loses it for him. And then you could have had that all the mega heat on the authority were going forward. Because at that point, Sting didn't know whether or not he wanted to sign on for another year. Mm. So if he did want to sign on for another year, then there's always ways you can get him back into the fray. Because, I mean, when someone leaves, when they have a loser leaves WWE match, how long is it before they just turn up on the other show? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's ways they could get him back into the fray. But for that one solid year, Sting would be the main... He would be the face of the company, in my opinion. I would have had him, I would have had him as the face of the company. I wouldn't have put a title on him, because he didn't need it. Same way The Fiend never needs a title. Mm-hmm. He'd, just, he'd just be this big character. And like Sting would have been possibly the biggest character that came into that, because he was the last stand-up for WCW as they booked it. Yeah, definitely. But people love Sting. Sting is he's known as the icon for a reason. Yeah, I I really like that idea. Um, Triple H 
beating Sting at WrestleMania, I, I hated everything about that. I hated that, that whole scenario. Um, I don't understand why it was necessary. Um, Triple H can quite easily take a defeat on any any given day and it not harm him or his character. Um, I felt, I mean, the fact that Sting is in the WWE Hall of Fame, he was involved in the company, he had this big match at WrestleMania, this big moment at Survivor Series, um, title matches um, and, and huge moments on Raw in the build-up to these contests. And as I'm aware, he never actually won a match in the company. Um, no, I honestly don't think he did. I think that I think that's a real travesty. I think that's a real shame. Um, the idea of doing that as you have planned it there, I think I think it's a really clever way of keeping the storyline going, giving Sting something to do where he doesn't have to work every week because obviously the guy at this stage was ad- more advanced in years than perhaps he'd he'd hoped to be. To late fifties at this point, I exactly, think. exactly. Um, it gives yeah. an out as well. It gives you an out come Survivor Series that if he doesn't sign, he can go. So I think that's a really clever way of ticking a lot of boxes with the Sting character for that 12-month period. That's great. Plus, for for Triple H to lose at Mania to Sting, that like that's just booked your next six months of Triple H. Yes. Well, because you you know when Triple H wants to be this maniacal asshole. He is possibly one of the best to do it. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I mean, the guys—I'm I, a big Triple H fan. I think the guys—I think the guys great. He gets a lot, bit of a rough ride at times, I think, from some fans. But you don't do what he's done at the level he's done it at for so long, and not be good at what he what he is. So, no, I think that's a really good book it as well. That's 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 a very good choice. Um, Bronk one then connected to that very quickly. Where does the Undertaker fit in? Because everyone always wanted Sting Undertaker, didn't they? This is true. This is true. <laughs> Have I just thrown a spanner in the works? <laughs> no, 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 no. I... Oh. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if I've had... I don't know if I'd have The Undertaker as part of this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, back, well, what was it? 2014, 2015, I think, Steen came in. Um, I don't know if The Undertaker was even up for anything at this point. Like, he yeah, wasn't wasn't looking in a way in which he'd go anywhere or even keep up to be honest mm. no no that That's, makes sense yeah i for the first year i'd just have him as this big batman character to triple h and the authority because that's what the people wanted they wanted someone to fight the authority and kick him out yeah and, um it's Again, if Sting did sign on for another year, then that's that would be the Undertaker year. That would be Sting turning up, and I don't know if I'd still play in face because, I mean, can you can you you can't really have a heel Undertaker anymore. He's just too beloved. Yeah, you're not getting him booed, are you? No, so you'd have to turn. So mate, okay, no, I've got it, I've got it. So if Sting were to lose the Survivor Series match and Loser leaves Raw, he's gone. Whoever lost that match for him, that's the start of the Sting heel turn. So you have you have Sting in a feud, just punking out whoever is the guy who lost, and it just keeps going. He go he goes slowly through his five members of his team, and just with the same fact that. You got me kicked out. You weren't good enough for this, and it keeps going. 
and keeps going until there's one point where the beatdown is just too severe and then all of a sudden you hear the gong. Yeah, I get you. And the taker makes the save sort of thing. The taker just appears in the ring and Sting looks like he's seen a ghost. He, he backs off completely and then that's your setup. That's your setup for The Undertaker. The Undertaker has come to save the day. Sting is infuriated that he's got in his way. And, I mean, you've got five, you've got five members of the team. And you've got, I'd say, you could do two or three of them up until, I'd say, a month before Mania. Mm-hmm. I think I, I wouldn't leave it longer than a month for this build. It's, you want a short build for any Undertaker match. The longer it goes, the more you've got to sort of fill the gaps because the Undertaker's not always there. Yeah, and there's only so much he does when he's there as well. Oh, exactly. It's like his Cena feud. Cena was cutting promos on himself to get interest in this Undertaker match because the Undertaker just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I'd have the build for that match a month before Mania, and it would happen at a Raw say, a Raw after a pay-per-view where Sting just beats the holy crap out of whoever the final member of his team was to set this gong up. And, I mean, they could even put it back in Madison Square Garden because why not? It's, it's Madison Square Garden. Anywhere will go nuts for that man. And then yeah. that's, that's your month build. And then I wouldn't even have them interact. I wouldn't have them interact... They wouldn't be in the same ring. They just cut promos because Sting is a fantastic promo, and The Undertaker's a fantastic promo. So I'd have them cut promos for four weeks, leading up to the big match, and then that's your big blow off. And oh, then you go. You given you given us two. You got two years of Sting. <laughs> yeah, well, it must be better than what we got. I'll tell you that. Massive Sting fan. <laughs> massive W. I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much I'm very much WCW Sting, the whole surfer Sting, the blonde hair back in the day. That that was my Sting when I was growing. You see, so. um, okay. And lastly, uh, to end on something a bit positive, your best, please, sir. Um, well, the best is sort of a. It would be the Shawn Michaels Undertaker. Mania matches, I think. Actually, it would be the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, and then the Triple H. It would be the four matches that those three members had. That sort of end of an era storyline, wasn't it? Built across over four years. Storyline, because you don't need much to just sit back and enjoy. And Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker, regardless of what day it is, they will put on possibly one of the best matches you have ever seen in your life. As they did. Shawn Michaels' career on the line versus The Undertaker. Possibly one of my favourite matches I've ever watched. And the story... And then the Triple, the triple H after that, who was fighting for his friend because he had to retire. And then leading to the big Triple, um, triple H Undertaker... Hell in a Cell match is possibly my favourite match. Of If I need something to go and put on, I will put on that Triple H match. Because even though I've watched it so many times, I still get sucked into it. I still bite at every two count. 
and especially when Undertaker's going for a tombstone and Shawn Michaels hits him with that switching music out of nowhere and the look on his face like, oh my God, I've just screwed this entire thing up. I bite on it every time. Every time. It's just a fan. It's just a fantastic four set of matches. Yes, yeah, it's, it's three guys who are absolute masters of their craft, isn't it? Um, Shawn Michaels is in my my top two favourites of all time. Um, Triple H is obviously incredibly good at what he does. The Undertaker is the legend that he is. A mixture of those three guys telling a story over the space of four years and four WrestleManias. Uh, I think it's fantastically well done, fantastically well written, absolutely brilliant stuff. I can understand completely why that is your pick as your best. That's a great choice. Okay then, sir. As we're now finishing up, I want to thank you yet again for taking the time to talk through your experiences training to become a wrestler and working in the ring and, and then discussing so much of the modern product with me. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show no that's great stuff thank you very much before I let you go um, just let everyone listening uh, know where they can find you online whether that's Instagram Facebook Twitter and so on so I am on Instagram at the King Cage Um, that's usually my main form of uh, social media that I use Uh, I do have a Twitter at King Cage 6 but I'm more prominent on Instagram than anything else. And if you want to find anything there, I'm usually on there more than anything else. Okay, great stuff. Um, so, yes, thanks again for, for coming on. I really enjoyed it. I mean, your knowledge of the modern-day product, the, the, the stuff that WWE, NXT, AEW, and so on are putting out now is far superior to mine. I'd love to have, I'd love to have you back on at some stage. I'm going to try and... Even though my show primarily is is interviews and then looking back on old pay-per-views and so on, um, I try maybe once a month or so on to touch on what's going on in the modern world. Um, I'd love to have you back on at some time in the future to get your thoughts on Raw, SmackDown, and, and see how you're getting on with, with regards to uh, getting back in the ring. Oh, yeah, I'd love to be back on, mate. Great stuff. Thank you very much for your time, and we'll speak soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.